this is David Wilson and welcome to episode 62 of On Another Track. It was really interesting podcast-wise because you mentioned that last week. So that's a site you can go on and then it says if you want to find particular podcasts in certain niches, here's a list of them. Yeah, exactly. It's a directory. Probably in like the entrepreneurship space around seven to 10,000. It's worked really well. I've spoken to so many amazing podcast hosts like yourself. I had to stop it because I was getting too many responses. That's the voice of my guest this week, Adam Rosen. He's one of the founders of the email outreach company. So what is on another track all about? Well, we're here to explore people and places from around the world. We hear the stories that transform my guests' lives and how that's helped them get on another track. It's not always pretty, but if you need that practical advice to figure out the roadblocks ahead, then you can't go wrong by learning from people's ups and downs. It's an enlightening experience. Come on the journey with me. I first got to meet Adam through his cold call email. And normally I would just delete these emails, but it intrigued me. It was simple, it was straightforward, and it was clear and concise. And he tried 3.8 times to get a hold of me. Adam's priority in life is to get you more sales appointments, hassle-free. Do you have a great sales team, great closers? but just don't have time to prospect, then no worries. Adam and his team will set that up for you. All he asks is for you to be consistent, genuine, and honest, and let the white space do the work. I started by asking Adam first about his travel around the world and how that connected to his business. Yeah, so back in, and we're recording this right now, and towards the end of March of 2022, and and November of 21, I left New York where I was living previously for the past 18 months. And me and my business partner have made the conscious decision to explore as much of the world as possible while we build our online business. So I, I started meeting him in Florence, Italy. We went to Switzerland. Then uh, I came back to New York for the holidays. And then I was out in Hawaii for the past few months. That's where I was talking last time. Uh, and the view was a little bit better. And I, I'm taking my mother out to a comedy show. Who She lives in New York. So I'm here for the next week before I go back to uh, to Austin and then leave the country for probably the remainder of the year. Oh, what a fantastic life you lead. You obviously clearly don't have a mortgage and children. That's all I can say <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> no, definitely not. I was talking to uh, an entrepreneur, I think it was actually yesterday, having that exact conversation. I'm like, I don't know how you with two kids are able to do what you do. I, I'm a single guy that has next to no responsibilities right now. And and I can, I, it can be challenging for me. So no, I, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have uh, any kids that I need to take care of either. And by the way, listeners, he's got a great suntan as well. I'm not jealous. You can tell. Eh? There we go. All right. Well, listen, you did do a little bit of an alluding to a business uh, that you've put together. Now, can you really explain really how you got started in business and where that kind of journey has, has led you to where you are now? Yeah, for me, I never held a true nine to five, at least in my my professional working world. So three weeks before I graduated, I did a one-year MBA at college. I was leading an entrepreneur program. So they had me working at the school as I pursued my MBA. So three weeks before I graduated, me and two of my business partners at the time decided to jump in and start uh, our own business. And it ended up being a five-year journey. The general gist of it was uh, we believe college student organizations have a special group of students, and these student organizations are all over the world, not just in the U.S. We actually had some great clubs in the U- in the U.K. where we had over 100,000 student organizations, and then we would partner with companies like Bank of America, Amazon, AT&T, a lot of large employers. They were our customers, and we would connect them to these students for jobs and internships, as well as for data. So they would uh, run surveys through our platform as well. So we did that for about five years. 
2019, we sold the company to a college marketing firm. And uh, since then, I've done a lot of work advising, working with startups, doing some work in real estate, buying and selling land. And now the business that's allowing me to travel the world is through an email outreach company where basically I set up sales appointments uh, primarily for startups through cold email outreach. Oh my goodness. You've been a busy guy in the last four or five years. Crikey. So where does your entrepreneurship come from though? Is it something innate in you or has the family always been very entrepreneurial? Yeah, great question. So no, my, my, my mother does, she started some entrepreneurial businesses like being a florist, uh, but she is not, I wouldn't say a true entrepreneur. My father is not an entrepreneur. He's, he's worked at basically in corporate America his whole life. Um, for me, the desire really came from, I've always wanted to uh, do something special. I've always wanted to do something more. I never knew truly how to get there. And then I was fortunate in my junior year to just stumble into an entrepreneurship class, junior year of college. I really knew nothing about entrepreneurship, but I fell in love with the possibilities of it. And uh, that led into, uh, you know, me pursuing my MBA, running an entrepreneurship program my senior year. But no, I, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur meant until uh, college. Actually, you just took the next question literally out of my mouth. What is the real definition of an entrepreneur? Because you've lived and breathed it for the last four or five years. Uh, but how do you define it? Yeah, it's tough because even in college, what I thought was being an entrepreneur, and maybe even in, in the early days is very different because I, I do come from the tech world. So the tech startup world is very different from the small business world where you're you're a very focused on profit. You're fo very focused on being in the black. You're very focused on making sure that you can pay the bills, efficiency, all that stuff. In the tech world, being an entrepreneur is different. It's about scale, scale, scale. Some people say red is the new black, like it's okay to lose money as long as you grow. Uh, but for me, just an entrepreneur is simple. It's just, it's a business owner that is, uh, it's really simple as that, just a business owner. Um, somebody who starts something, uh, whether it's a big tech company, whether it's a local shop, I, I try not to put too much pressure on entrepreneurs feeling like they need to be the next Facebook because there's amazing, amazing, amazing entrepreneurs that are at, at the local pub that are, you know, running a local pub that are running a, a flower shop that are leading tech companies. They're doing all types of things, but a, an entrepreneur is just simply a business owner to me. It was interesting what you pointed out there, that you don't necessarily always have to be in the black. You can run with red, you know, you can run with a deficit as long as you know what your end goal is. But so, so do you think entrepreneurship has changed a lot probably in the last five or 10 years? And is there, is there more opportunities to be entrepreneurial, do you think? I mean, you'll see a lot of young kids now, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old that are starting businesses and are and are learning things online, whether it's in you know crypto and NFTs to people that are starting online businesses like Amazon dropshipping because of online businesses now taking off. Anybody can be an entrepreneur. And the truth is, is if you have access to the Internet, you can learn all these skills that it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. It uh, doesn't mean you're going to be successful right away. Of course, no matter what, it's going to take bumps and bruises. But yeah, now the the barrier to entry to being an entrepreneur is incredibly low, which means more people can be an entrepreneur, but it doesn't necessarily mean that more people are going to be successful entrepreneurs. Um, so it really just means that more people experience a lot of the failures of being an entrepreneur. It's a great time to be alive, isn't it, really, as a young person and as an older person, because I find it invigorating when I mm -hmm. see that there's opportunities that I can take advantage of literally by a click of a button or reach out to somebody by an email. Okay, you talking about email. Um, you did talk about your current company. It's an email outreach company. What does that mean to the, the punter in the street? Anyone who wants more sales appointments, specifically around B2B. So if you're selling to other businesses, it can be a great asset. Like I'll have people say to me and have said to me in the past, email outreach doesn't work. Cold email does not work. And you know what? They're right. Cold email does not work if you don't know what you're doing. 
Just like with anything, if you're running a Facebook ad, if you have a billboard in the middle of Times Square, no matter what it is, if you don't know what you're doing with that medium, it's not going to be effective. For us, cold email was always effective because with my tech startup, yes, we were funded, but we weren't heavily funded. There was others in our space that had many, many million dollars more of funding for us than us. We had others that had more experience in the space than us. So we had to be scrappy. And the way to do it was through cold email outreach. So cold email outreach, really for anybody that's looking to get more sales appointments can be an X factor, can be a huge asset, but you have to know what you're doing with it. Uh, the expression you said, I had, you had to be scrappy. I like that because it's a little bit kind of, you know, it's a rough diamond, isn't it? You know, you're just trying to get in there and do a bit of moving and shaking and just stir it up a little bit. So how would you take, you know, because the concept of email has really not gone by the wayside. That's the wrong word. But it's been diluted in the last couple of years because we had relied so much on it. And, you know, a lot of the times the, the emails do not hit the right place. They either get blocked by the, you know, the email blockers or the, you know, the servers, or they basically, people just don't open them anymore. You know, they just have too much. So how are you different from other email outreach companies? How do you make it so it's impactful? Yeah, it's, it's one of the big challenges because there is so much noise out there. But the truth is, in the digital world, there's so much noise everywhere. Again, if you're looking at, if you go going on your Instagram, there's so much noise, no matter what advertisement you see. So any medium you go on, there's noise. So noise is consistent anywhere. Now we see all these text messages that come up, most of which we ignore, even though those text message companies will laud the open rates that they have and people that see the message. Um, so how do, you make, how do you make yourself stand out? Number one, it's identifying who your buyer is. You have to know who your buyer is. Once you know who your buyer is, what problems are they facing? And what solutions do they want? What solutions are they looking for? And if you have a solution to their problem, how do you put that across in a way that is simple, clear, and cohesive so that the, the other person can read that message? First of all, wants to read that message. Second of all, will read that message. Third of all, can digest that message and take an easy action to learn more. But I see so many companies that send long emails. They put a bunch of BS and fluff in there. They try to make it seem like they're the most creative, funny people in the world. That ends up being six paragraphs with 20 sentences in it. No, be short, be direct, be to the point. And if they see value in what you offer, uh, they'll respond. If they don't see value, they'll push it to the side. But for me, it's the direct approach. And it's what has got us on the phone with some of the biggest CEOs in the world, uh, not just for ourselves, but for the clients that we work with. And so give us a, a, a really great example. I'd love to hear one. That, well, let's let's do both sides of the coins, right? Mm -hmm. What is an example of a, a really bad one? You did hint at it, you know, lots of words, not really getting to the point, not grabbing, there's no hook. But then flip that over and, and, and tell us what you do to the email to make it so that it's more impactful and people will click and open it. Yeah. So number one, again, it goes back into knowing who is on the other end of this. What are they looking for? So if you're reaching out to a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, what could pique their interest? If you're reaching out to a chief human resource officer, what's going to pique their interest? If you're reaching out to, out to a talent acquisition manager, what would pique their interest? So number one, it's sending out a message that's related to the buyer that you're reaching out to. Because you can send the best email in the world, but if I don't care about it, if it's not part of my day-to-day, -day, if it's not any of my concerns that I'm looking for, it's not going to resonate. So number one, you got to know who you're sending your email to. Number two, in terms of something that we would send, we do a lot of advice emails. 
So one of our clients, she's a new startup. She never had a single client three months ago before she started working with us in the B2B space in the business world. And the whole route we go with her is through advice emails. So we reach out to chief people officers, chief human resource officers, and the whole pitch is, you know, hi, I'm a young startup CEO. I was the youngest global salesperson at Spotify. This is the problem I solve. It's around Gen Z in the workplace. Are you open to having a, a 15 minute conversation so I can learn more from you about how you see Gen Z and how a business like mine can fit into that? So something short, sweet around that, the amount of phone calls that she's gotten on the last month, she spoke to, I think, 36 chief people officers, and now they're starting to turn into sales. So for example, one of the chief people officers she spoke to it took seven follow-up emails, so eight emails total. On that eighth email, that woman responded. She said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry for not getting back to you. Let's hop on a call. Two days later, they get on a phone call. On that phone call, she bought a $2,500 pilot package for one speaking event. After that speaking event went well, now they're in the talk of closing what looks like it's going to be a six-figure contract. This is a brand new startup that never had a single customer before. And the only reason she got on that phone call was because of the, the email around advice. But then the most important piece is around follow-ups. It takes on average 3.8 emails to get one successful meeting booked from our outreach. So that's the other big problem is most people don't follow up enough to even have the chance of booking a meeting. So that's in terms of like a successful email campaign and something that we would do. Unsuccessful is just long, bulky, BS filled, not focused on a problem. You don't know what I'm looking for. No clear call to action. And just like things like, you know, hi, if I said, hi, Dave, you know, I hope all is well with you and your family and I hope COVID isn't, you know, bogging you down too much. Like, sure, that's like a nice thing to say, but why are you wasting the most valuable space on just a BS jargon thing that in reality, you don't care about? You want to like, I want to sell you something, Dave. I want to sell you a phone call. What is that thing that I want to sell you? And is that first sentence going to make you stand out at all? No, be direct to the point. Hey, Dave, I know you have this great podcast. I think I could be an asset to it for these reasons. If you're interested, let's talk. If you're not interested, let's not talk. And you, again, you summed that up so well because I got your initial email and I thought, oh, okay, you know, fair enough. Put that to one side. I had other things to deal with. I got the second one. I thought, okay, well, it goes to one side, but you're absolutely right. And I always had the law of three. And we talked about this last exactly. week when we had our conversation is it's usually that third one that will get somewhere. And it's, it's weird how it works and you have your 3.8, but ultimately you've got to not get dissuaded or get disappointed. If you don't get the response you expect, it's all about consistency, being consistent, but just following up and just being short and to the point, like you say, and, and really trying to solve a problem they might have and, and keying into what, really kind of like so floats their boat i suppose that's the point isn't it yeah um how do you how do you do that research adam because this is not about just going in you know blazing guns and everything you have to do some research to figure out whether you're going to be pitching at the right angle the right sort of you know tone what have you so how do you get that research done where do you do that research in terms of knowing who to email or in terms of once you get the meeting booked how do you know how to prepare for that meeting Actually, do both because there'll be people on here who are just starting a business and haven't got a clue how to start marketing or trying to sell to B2B. So how would you go about the process? If you're brand new in the market, what would you be doing? So first, I call it email market fit. Part of doing cold email outreach, what's great about cold email outreach is you're able to test the market rapidly because you're able to send mass emails on a, on a really as large of a scale as you want, and you're able to test the response. What was the open rate? What was the response rate? And the truth is when you're just starting, you might not know that. You might not know the answer. So for example, that customer I mentioned earlier, when we started working with her, we thought learning and development might be a good angle. Results weren't that great. So we tried another angle. Results were getting a little better. 
We tried another angle. Whoa, results were exploding. But it took us some time and took us testing the market and took us having the wherewithal to know like, hey, we're going to get no's. You're going to get people that are not happy with you. You're going to get people that say, stop emailing me. You're going to get all that stuff. And that's okay. That's all part of marketing, no matter what medium you take. But one of the most important pieces of cold email outreach is you have to understand who your market is. And it takes testing. It takes testing. It takes testing. So the research is having your gut, your gut instinct. If you have customers that leads you in a good direction, but part of cold outreach is you have to test these different markets and see what message is resonating. So that's number one. Number two, in terms of preparing for a meeting, it's always good to prepare for a meeting. You want to know who you're talking to, uh, but some people go into these meetings, they have all these like 10, 20 stock questions that they want to get off their chest. They want to ask. When I first got into sales, that's what I used to do. When I first started selling for my tech startup, I was like, I have to do the Brian Tracy method. Anyone knows Brian Tracy? Like I have to ask these very specific questions until I get the answer to this question. I'm not moving on to the next question. And if they don't give me a good enough question, I'm going to keep drilling and drilling and drilling. And you know what that does? That makes the other person on the other end say, I don't trust you. You're a slimy salesperson. I don't like you. Now, when I go into a meeting, it's very simple. It's how can I help? And it's just being honest and being genuine. And if you just say, what are you looking for? They're going to open up the doors for you. They're going to tell you everything. They're going to tell you more than they should tell you as long as you're a genuine person. But when you go in these meetings and you're like, you know, nervous or rigid, or you have like these 10 stock questions you want to ask, people are just going to put their guard up. And once their guard is up, you're screwed as a salesperson. And you know, what's really interesting is that when I was in sales, you know, say on the road, I loved cold calling. Cold calling to me was just the blood that flowed around my veins because it's a numbers game. You know, it's a numbers game like marketing. You put enough in at the top of the hopper, you're going to get something out of the bottom. You've just got to do the actions. You've got to do the motions. And if you can do those efficiently, like you were saying, do your research, think about how you're going to position your offer. But more important than that, it's asking the right questions. It's asking those great open questions and stop and listen. Because as salespeople, we want to talk. We want to talk all the time. <laughs> that that L word you just said is maybe the most powerful word in sales is just listen, like really listen. If you let the white space do its work, if you let the space sit there, people are going to give you more information. When they give you more information, asking questions that are geared towards the things that they're saying, again, not the stock question that you feel like you need to ask. Like there's some people I work with, startups and entrepreneurs, again, mainly in the B2B space, but I hear their sales calls and it's just talking, talking, talking. What does talking do? Talking is details. What do details create? Details create confusion. A confused buyer is never a buyer. If you create confusion as a salesperson, again, you are screwed. You have to make things simple. And I went through this mistake too when I was running my tech startup. Every fun bell and whistle we added, I wanted to share. And all that was was stroking my ego. That's all it was. The less you talk, the more you listen to your point, uh, the more effective you'll be as a salesperson. Okay. So give us some examples. So for somebody who's very new to this business, young entrepreneur, they're going to make their first cold call. They're going to li literally take that telephone and they're going to call possibly if they have enough confidence, they may not, but they're going to call that CEO of that company. How would you approach it if you were doing it in a kind of, you know, a telephone manner rather than an email manner? Because you've had, you've obviously done that before yourself, I can tell. So how would your approach be? Be direct. Be direct and be simple and be short. I, I do a lot of talks on Gen Z. I shouldn't say a lot of talks. I do talks on Gen Z for conferences and for, for some corporations because of the work I did in the tech space around college students. One of the things we talk about is how Gen Z has the attention span of a goldfish, eight seconds. I hate to break it to the rest of us, though. I'm a millennial. Previous generations, we ain't much better. 
We all have such a short attention span. There's so much noise surrounding all of us. So if you're making a cold call, just get to the point as quickly as possible. Be simple and be genuine. If you do those things, you'll get the answer as quickly as you can. Yeah, one of the best ones I ever heard, I've got 30 seconds. I'm going to just tell you very briefly that I can solve a problem that you've got with your zoot, zoot, zoot. Are you interested in going any further? Because I know you're busy. Exactly. And it's simple as that. And you get a yes and no. And if they say, okay, yes, nobody's ever approached me like that. Okay, good. We're not wasting your time. Let's get to the point, you know. And it's amazing if you can do that with people. It's amazing the type of conversation you have. So some of the best opening lines that you've ever heard, though, you know, when somebody's gone in and you think, God, you're never going to get to have an interview or a chat to that guy or to that girl. Have you had some really good openers, ones that really work straight off the bat? In terms of a cold call or a cold email? Cold call and cold email. I want both. <laughs> uh, cold call, I wouldn't say I have anything that, that would be that strong for you just because I spent so much of my time pretty much with my tech startup on in the early days I did cold calling. But after that, once we got good at cold email for me, I'm like, I can reach so many more people through email in such a short amount of time. So I, I don't do much cold calling at all anymore. Um, so I'd say with cold email, the most effective thing and the CEO of MasterCard, Ajay Banga, an amazing man who's running one of the biggest companies. He got on multiple phone calls with my business partner because of a mentorship email of saying, Hey, can I get your advice? I'm a young founder. This is what I'm looking for. I'd love to get your advice. Ajay Banga, one of the busiest men in the world, hopped on multiple phone calls to give advice. Then he ended up passing us along to his recruiting team and MasterCard became a client. But it all started from cold email outreach, asking for advice to the CEO of a massive you know, Fortune 500 company. So the advice route, as long as you come at it with a genuine angle and you're not being sales, you're not being slimy with it, it can be an amazing way to get meetings with anybody. Like the amount of CEO calls we've hopped on ourselves and also have gotten our partner, our clients on, it's amazing if you take that genuine route because people want to give advice. Well, you, you summed it up so well. Two things. People want to give advice because they'd like to share their knowledge and they like to see other people successful. But the other one is being authentic and genuine. If it's coming from the heart and you genuinely want to sort of have some mentorship from that person, that builds so many bridges. It's absolutely brilliant. Love it. Okay. So what about social media though? If you decide that, you know, maybe you don't want to go down the email route straight away, but you want to start to build your brand. Is there any advice from your perspective when it comes to social media, how you should start to approach that? My biggest thing, no matter what site you're going, whether you're doing cold email outreach, whether you're doing phone calls, whether you're doing Facebook, you know, Instagram, TikTok, whatever social media site, any marketing, it's all about being genuine. It is all about being genuine. It's all about being consistent. And it's all about being okay with rejection. So if you're looking to get started on social media, be genuine, find your voice. If, you, if you're good behind the camera, you enjoy being behind the camera, post videos. And when you do post videos of yourself, try to bring your authentic self. And it's okay if it takes 10 videos or a hundred videos or a thousand videos to get there. It, it'll take time to find your voice, but try to get to your voice as quickly as possible and be genuine in your marketing efforts because people want to see alignment, whether it's with an email that they get from you, an Instagram post that you have, or a, you know, when you get on the phone call with them or they go to your website, it all has to be consistent. So build your brand consciously and make sure that it's authentic to who you are and the brand that you want to build. And from your perspective, from your email outreach company, what's been the best channels that you've found that have really kind of worked and got you some results? In terms of like what types of emails tend to get the best results? 
Well, not just necessarily the emails, but if you have been using social media, do you find LinkedIn is, you know, business-wise really, really helps because you find there's a genuine response to a genuine question or you find Facebook or do you find one of the other channels that works really well? Some people find TikTok is amazing. Yeah, it depends on your audience. Again, it's knowing who your buyer is and knowing where your buyer spends their time. I, I do a lot of coaching with small business owners through an amazing company called Eureka. And it helps uh, small business owners from all around, mainly in the U.S., to learn how to run their business. And that's one of the big things that we talk about is you have to know your buyer. You have to know your buyer. If you know your buyer and you know where they're spending their time, then you can engage with them in the right way. So you got to know your buyer. And depending on who your buyer is, they're going to be on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. But for most people in the B2B space, they're going to be on LinkedIn. And the same thing goes when you're reaching out to someone on LinkedIn. Just be genuine and be direct, be to the point. Okay, so I'm um, a potential client of yours. You've convinced me to come on a phone call like you have with the podcast, which has been wonderful. Uh, your approach was great, you know, and I sort of saw a genuineness in what you were doing. But what would you do with somebody who is a, a new solopreneur, entrepreneur? How would you take them on that journey with your company? So it depends. Uh, for us, we don't want to take on too many customers, especially brand new customers, just because we're very intentional about how many companies we bring on and how many customers we work with. But for example, that other example that I, I shared earlier, young entrepreneur, you know, 26 years old, solopreneur. She just left her, you know, big company at Spotify. She's starting her company, doesn't even really know what her product is. We've done a lot of coaching with her to help her know what her product is, learn how to sell her product, how to get her on phone calls. Then and when she's on these phone calls, how to be most effective on those phone calls, after those phone calls, how to sell a pilot, then how to sell a second and a third deal from them. So we could take you on that whole journey, but we are pretty intentional with, with what companies we're able to bring on just because that can be a lot more time consuming versus, you know, another customer that works with us where we're just sending out cold emails and getting them on meetings. That's a little bit uh, less time for us, helping someone build out their product sell their product, you know, learn how to sell, learn how to get a second and a third product sold. That That's a little more time consuming for us. And if you had an ideal client, then it, it would be a broad range of people or do you like established businesses, you know, that they're already up and running. And that's really, as you mentioned there, you can just key in really on the email side of things, getting that right. We're now starting to work with big enterprise type customers, but I love entrepreneurs. I love startups. So ideally it's a startup that has, you know, between five or 10 employees. They maybe have a great salesperson and that salesperson just doesn't have the time to send out these emails and do this prospecting, but they're a great closer. And how can we just get them on more phone calls? So that's really an ideal client because also for us, we try to take as little as possible as a monthly fee, but we want to make sure that we're part of the wins when they make a sale. So that's always best case for us is that we work with startups that can sell and that we can share the wins with them when we help them get on these phone calls. And that's really constructive, actually. I love that approach because, you know, there's the fixed fee approach and you will do X amount for it. And there we are. But you are saying, you know, let us be part of that win process. And when we get to it, let's take a proportion of that. And as you get bigger, we earn a little bit more out of it just for the effort that we're putting in. And I think that's totally doable. I mean, for most businesses, because, you know, it's scalable, isn't it? Totally scalable. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's one of the biggest things I've heard from people that have had so many horror stories with companies similar to mine. I have some people that will reach out to me and I'll say, sure, I'll get on a phone call with you. They want to sell me their lead generation company um, in terms of me being a client. I'll talk to them and I'll ask them, you know, how much is the monthly fee? Great. So how many meetings does that guarantee? Well, none. Well, how many meetings should I expect? Well, uh, I don't really know if you'll get any meetings. I just want them to see your email. I'm like, what? How is that even possible? I've talked to some big enterprise that have paid 
a insane amount of money for a company similar to ours and have had next to no results. So my thing is always, hey, let's let's set up a number. Let's get some guarantees in place. If we don't hit it, I'll gladly give you your money back. But I know we will hit it. And when we do hit it, I want to make sure that I'm taking part of the rewards too. So I love doing that stuff because others in the space, frankly, they're not that great at it, at least from a lot that I've heard and seen, and they don't make those guarantees. So if I can make those guarantees, I know me as an entrepreneur, as a startup, I would prefer that as well. You speak so much to me because with the background in sales and real estate as well, I used to love cutting the market up in a different way when I was in real estate. And I would say to people, we are match the fee. In fact, I'll do it for zero if, if you want to get that figure. That's, that's fine. But guess what? If you want to get that figure, why don't we work together and do that together? Mm -hmm. And then we can be part of the, the success process. And it was amazing how people came on board with that. They loved it. Yeah, it's a great way also just to build trust because that also shows that you have faith in your product. Because if you didn't have faith in your offering, if you don't have faith in yourself, you're obviously not going to offer that because then you're not going to make anything. But if you have faith in your product, you're willing to do things like that. So it's also a red flag. I was talking to an entrepreneur yesterday and last, last night I was telling her, I said, hey, this vendor, they're not producing. So you have to put some things in place and say, I'll only work with you if we put some guarantees in place. And if they're not willing to put those guarantees in place, then they probably don't have that much faith in their product and in their offering. So it is a red flag to be aware of anytime we're thinking about working with a vendor. Yeah, halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, Dave Wilson, my guest this week is Adam Rosen of the Amel Outreach Company. He's been a great guest so far, but now we get into the soft underbelly of family. And I wanted him to tell us a little bit about where the Rosen family came from and was there anybody influential on his journey through his life? Yeah, my my dad, his family was, was in America for many, multiple generations. My mother, she came to... Uh, America when she was four. She came from Germany. Uh, both of my uh, my grandmother and my grandfather on my mother's side were, uh, lived in, in Nazi Germany. So they were both uh, in the Holocaust. And my my grandmother was saved by a, an amazing priest and, and his family. They hit her in, in their attic. And then my grandfather, he was part of the Polish underground and, you know, fought his way through the Holocaust in World War II. And, uh, you know, all the stories that come from that as well. So I like to think that in a very different and a much lesser, to a much lesser extent, of course, that at least some of my grit came from my ancestors that were able to fight things that, you know, I could never even imagine. So I would say that's, that's certainly part of it. And then on my dad's side, he, he had his own fights and battles that he had to overcome uh, growing up to, to help build up himself to uh, leading to, you know, him creating the family and me and my three other siblings that I have as well. So I'd like to think that uh, both of them had, had a lot of, lot to do for that. That's an amazing story. I mean, you just, you know, you hear about these sort of stories, but, you know, to actually speak to somebody who's kind of lived it, you know, through your grandpa and things like that, it, it must be incredible hearing some of those harrowing stories. It, it's, it makes your blurred curd a little bit, doesn't it? Thinking about what happened way back then. Um, so what did dad do? I mean, was dad uh, self-employed or did he sort of go into a particular sort of line of business? Yeah. So he was in the radio industry for, for probably at least 30 years. So in New York city, some of the big radio stations here, he ran as a general manager. Um, so he did that for quite a while. And then he uh, ran some other radio stations in the Jersey and Philly area. And then for the last seven years, he's been in Hawaii running uh, stations out there too, which he just recently retired from. So yeah, he's been in that industry for a while. And he was a big reason why I went out to Hawaii in the first place back in 2019. And then this most recent time when I was there for a few years, being so close to him, being a five minute drive away and getting to, to go golfing with him is always great and, and getting to meet him and his friends and his colleagues. But yeah, he always 
opened up the doors to me as a little kid. And the biggest thing that he did is he always, whenever we go to these big concerts, the biggest stars in the world, you know, Jay-Z's and Beyonce's and all these Lenny Kravitz, all these like huge stars growing up, he would always make sure that he introduced me and my siblings to. And the the reason why is he was always, he would always say to me, he's like, Adam, I want you to see that uh, they're no different than you or I is they're just human beings. They're just a regular person has just, that has just been able to accomplish irregular things. And, you know, meeting people like Kanye West and all those things, it helped shape who I am today, I think in a way, because it just showed me, hey, they're no different than, than you and I, and all those amazing things that they've accomplished, I can accomplish too, if I take the actions necessary in order to get there. The, the penny drops into place now, because I understand why you're so confident in front of the microphone. You've got it in the family DNA. If your dad was doing that 30, 40 years, I mean, that's, you know, that kind of rubs off, doesn't it? You're not frightened of a microphone getting in front of, you know, a screen and talking to people. Yeah, but even that, you know, it, it took took time to even get used to that. And I've, I've done a lot of talks now and, and not all of them have gone great. And uh, it, it just, it's one of those things like with any muscle, it's like, I don't care if your dad's Arnold Schwarzenegger, like you still, you still got to get the gym and put in the reps to make sure you build that muscle. So yes, it definitely helped. Absolutely. Just being in front of a microphone and him putting me on the air when I was eight, nine years old and, you know, meeting all those people and being in that industry, um, of course help, but you got to put in the reps no matter what you do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally understand. And let's not forget mum, because I mean, with a family of kind of four kids, uh, was it four kids? I think there's you and three others. Is that right? Yeah, me and three others. Yeah. So what, did, did mum have time to have a career and do what she wanted to do in life? Or was it pretty much, you now family's important and we got to focus on that? Now that I'm getting to this age, you know, I'm 30 years old now and a lot of my friends are now starting to have kids and starting to approach that next chapter of their life. Uh, I'm able to see on a small scale just how amazing it is to have one kid, let alone having four kids. So my mother, she dedicated uh, you know, at least my life growing up to taking care of myself and my other siblings, but she's, she's the hardest worker. I know I have to like calm her down and stop her from working so much. She, she runs a nursery school now and she's out the door by 6am and she doesn't get back till eight or 9pm and she's working every weekend. I'm literally, I have to do everything to try to get her to slow down. I'm taking her a comedy show, uh, a big comedy show tomorrow, which I told you about it in the city. And, uh, She's, I'm like, mom, you just got to get out of work early for one day. You can get out at three o'clock. I'm going to pick you up. No questions asked. We're driving into the city for the comedy show, but she's, she is the hardest worker I know. Incredible. Incredible. Well done for looking after her. That's, that's really, really important. Okay. So let's talk about Adam Rosen when he was at school. Okay. Say you were sort of like 10, 11, 12, you're about to go to junior high. What were your dreams? What were you thinking of in terms of what you might want to do with your life at that stage? Growing up, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. So I always wanted to, you know, be a major league baseball player. Um, wanted to play in the NBA as a little kid growing up until I realized, hey, I'm, there's there's a big difference between me and the, and the real athletes. So that was always my dream growing up. And then as I got into high school, I wanted to be a general manager of a sports team. And then um, when I was in college, I, I was a sport management major in my undergrad. And I did a couple of internships with the Philadelphia Phillies, a big baseball team in the States, and then a minor league team. And it was after that minor league internship, I was like, screw this. This is not for me. I want to try a different path. And that's when I got introduced to the world of entrepreneurship. It's such a, a common story, isn't it? Because to be an exceptional athlete, especially in North America, you have to be exceptional. I mean, you really have to be at the top, oh, yeah. top, top of your league. But, you know, at least you tried. At least you you, you, you tasted it, you experienced it. And that's what it's all about life, isn't it? You try something. If it doesn't quite fit, well, guess what? Move on to something else, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny. My, I, pl I played high school basketball and I was a pretty good player, you know, 
and our team was exceptional um, in the New York area. We were a very good team, but we had a, a guy that transferred over from a very big program in New York City to come to our school. And he was, you know, I'm, I'm 6'1", he was 6'7", and he's, he is 6'7". He's a freak athlete, great player. And I remember one day at practice, and again, like I was a starter, I was a captain, I was, a, you know, a good player. And when he would guard me, I'm like, there's just nothing I can do. You're taller than me. You're faster than me. You're strong. Like everything you are better than me at. And that's when I realized there's levels because, you know, he's as good as it comes. He should have played great D1, but something happened that he wasn't able to do it. But even him, it's like, there's a levels way above him in college sports. And then there's levels way above him that are playing overseas, way above him that are playing in the NBA. And it just goes on and on. So yeah, once you taste like what a real athlete is, you start to see there's, there's the difference. Okay. Let's, let's move it back to business again. So, um, I want you to have your crystal ball in front of you and, and, and say, okay, we've gone through all these changes in the last two, three years, whatever COVID, you name it. And it's really mixed up business to business sales. I mean, you know, traditionally, I would always go out, I'd knock doors, I'd do my cold calling, which was really the life and blood of what I did. And now it's wholesale shifted. So for somebody like me, who's a baby boomer, the last of the baby boomers, it's been an amazing shift in terms of my the way I think about business and the frustrations. So if if you look at your crystal ball, what's the perfect picture you see in terms of how your company could really evolve and make it so accessible for other companies to come to you? Well, the, the great thing about what's happened over the past few years is things like this, right? We're doing this interview on Zoom. And whether it's Zoom or another video conferencing tool, I don't care if you're a baby boomer or a Gen Zer or anything in between. We all at this point know how to use video technology. And this is very comfortable for us. Now we don't rely on being in the office, face-to-face -face meetings, being in a conference room together, taking people out to lunch or dinner. Those are all great things, but we don't rely on it anymore, which means that the world now is a lot smaller where, you know, you're in the UK, I'm right now in, in New York and we're able to have this conversation. There's no hiccups. There's no stalling. There's nothing. It's just an easy one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's like we're in the same room together. So because of this, the world has gotten much smaller and because of tools, whether it's email or anything else, anybody is accessible. Anybody is accessible and anybody is able to take meetings like this. So I think for all of us as business people, I don't care what generation you are, it should be exciting because no matter what it is that we want to do, as long as we sell a product that I don't care if it's actually a virtual product or an in-person product, anybody is accessible. And now because of how comfortable we are using video technology like Zoom, uh, it, it makes things so that we can sell anything from anywhere in the world. Okay. And talking specifically about the type of program or the software or the apps that you have, again, give people a perspective on that. If they said, okay, I've heard Adam on Dave Wilson's On Another Track podcast, you know, he sounded great, sounds know he, he knows what he's doing. Take us through that kind of process where, you know, there might be an outreach call, you have a conversation, but is there an app that you run? Is there software? Is there things like that that they have to get their head around? Or do you just deal with all that and say, hey, give us the instruction and we'll get off to the races? We, we take care of all the hassle. So once we, we do an onboarding call, you know, we learn all about you and your business and then we take care of everything else. So we have an email address for you. We email on your behalf. We send out the emails. We have all the templates created for you. We book the meetings through a software called Calendly. It just, and all you really have to worry about is just sell baby, just get on the phone calls and do what you can to sell. And we'll take care of the rest because no one wants to do cold outreach. Nobody wants to, nobody in the world wants to do that. Nobody, really nobody should be doing that. Your time is too valuable to be focused on that. Your time is too valuable to deal with people saying, no, I'm not interested. 
All you should have to worry about is getting on these phone calls, getting on these sales appointments and doing what you do best. So yeah, we take care of all the other crap and the other minutia that nobody wants to deal with. Nobody has the time to deal with and nobody frankly should be dealing with. And is there any limit to the type of companies that you would deal with? Because for instance, I've done um, cold outreach on advertising for magazines, a brand new magazine. I've got to get the, 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 their income in for that. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but I put a system in place and it was just a process. You get rejection, rejection, rejection. Oh, somebody's interested. Great. Think that moves across. Uh, so how do you, is there customers that you really will not kind of entertain as such, or are you more specifically on a kind of very thin kind of niche area? Yeah, we, we stay away from B2C unless the B2C angle is they want to get on podcast. If you want to get on podcast, we can help with that. But if you're taking the B2C angle, we wouldn't focus so much on that unless we did the podcast route. So that's one. And the second, because cold outreach is a numbers game. If you have a very niche uh, audience where there's a really only an, uh, a, a potential market of 500 or a thousand different companies that you could reach out to, we would stay away from it because we want to work with these companies for a long time. We're very grateful that so far all of our customers and now our longest customer has been with us for coming up on, to, on a full year, 12 months. We want to work with companies for a long time. And if you have a small audience, there's just not enough outreach that we can do for you. So those are two things is if you're B2C, we try to stay away. And also if you have a small market, we try to stay away uh, from as well. And that's fair enough. At least we are putting the goalposts up so people kind of know where you're coming from. You did allude to podcast there. Where can you help people that are looking to get into podcasting or to utilize podcasting for, you know, sort of outreach? Yeah, I mean, there's there's websites. So there's a great website. This is actually how I found out about you was through PodcastWise. Yeah, it's a website that has all these different great podcasts from around the world, and it's categorized in different um, areas. So I, I might have mentioned to you when we talked last week, but I have a team that works with me where their job is to just find interesting podcasts like yours. And then they say, hey, Adam, you should give this a listen. And then that goes into our outreach but that's how we find out about it. So no matter who your audience is, like I have an author that I was speaking to and there's a children's book author. And I was like, Hey, if I were you, this is what I would do is I would reach out to every podcast in the children's space and the children's education space and try to get on as many podcasts as possible to share about your learnings, your book, and start getting introduced to that world. Um, because if you can get on great podcasts like yours, Dave, it could be a great way to meet interesting people like yourself, hopefully add value to your audience and connect with like-minded folks. And again, you just stole the question. I was going to ask, how come you chose my podcast? I mean, but yeah, so that was it. You list literally podcast wise, it came up and it listed as entrepreneur business podcast, I imagine. Exactly. And then like I shared, what I really respect about you and your the work that you're doing is you talk about a wide range of topics uh, that I, I think are relevant, actually relevant to entrepreneurs and small business owners and startups. But more importantly, like my biggest beef with the startup world is, you know, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing as an entrepreneur? Oh, I'm good. Meanwhile, I look behind me, my house is burning down. And I feel like we don't have the real conversations. We talk too much about fluff and BS. We don't talk about the raw, the unfiltered, the real. And I feel like you do a good job of diving into the depths of what actually matters. Even the questions you asked, you know, me on this conversation, like you, like you shared with me last week, you're going to ask questions that I probably have never heard before. And it's true. Like I've, I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've never once mentioned that my grandparents were in the Holocaust. Never once mentioned that. I didn't think I would talk about that today. So like you do a great job of get diving in and really getting into the meat of what actually matters. You know, I, I love doing that because I don't know if I explained last week, being an army brat, you know, you had to establish relationships with people everywhere you move to every two or three years. But what I always said is that people always have their own story. And, and a lot of the time they don't tell it because they don't think people are interested. 
But the thing about it is when you hear a great story and it suddenly relates to you in some uh, minor way, you suddenly have an affinity with that person. That's really what you're doing with your company. Your email outreach is, is finding that little kind of tiny bit of information that somebody can build that bridge and relate. And I mean, I would never have known that your grandparents were in the Holocaust. You know what I mean? That just blows me away. And with your, what's going on in Europe at the moment, it just is so relevant. You know what I mean? It really is. It's true. And, and to that point too, about even just connecting people, like at the end of the day, whether it's cold email or any other avenue, it's just connecting one person to another. Like I, I think about my tech startup, some of my very close friends now, like very close friends all started with the cold email. Amazing. Like I, I remember one of my buddies um, who works at a, a great company in New York City, he used to work at Lenovo and, and Motorola in Chicago. It was a cold email, straight sales call, like boom, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. I went to Chicago to visit him. He became a client of mine. And then we became just very close friends. And we, six years later, are very close. Uh, we hang out often, we talk often, um, but it all came from cold email. So really just another avenue of connecting two people on one common interest. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't have summed it up better. In fact, what I love about podcasting, it's, it's in a way, I think it's better than video because you can do other things where you listen to a podcast. And mm. that's the nice thing about the engagement in podcasts is pretty phenomenal. I know here in Canada, over 60% of people listen regularly to podcasts weekly, which is incredible, you know, to have that you know, that kind of buy-in on a media uh, level is, is just phenomenal, you know, and you don't get that with video, you know, 37 million channels out there. You just can't. It's just impossible. Okay. I, I want to be able to make sure that people can get a hold of you, Adam. Um, so what's the best way of reaching out to you if they're interested in hearing, uh, you know, having a chat with you? Yeah. So if you're on social media, my most active social media site is Instagram. So you can find me at Adam I. Rosen, R-O-S-E-N. Uh, if you want to email me, it's Adam at EOCworks.com. And then my website is eocworks.com. Okay. And what we'll do, we'll get those links and we'll post those on the show notes at the end uh, and make sure people can get a hold of you. One of the things that I always like to ask, and it's one of the questions that I really enjoy asking because most people don't really kind of know uh, what to say initially, have to think really long and hard. If you kind of looked at your life again and say you were kind of at junior high going to maybe university and you were sitting on a bus and you just met yourself, what would you tell yourself? My favorite quote is perseverance and spirit have done wonders in all ages from George Washington. And that, that would probably be it. It's just, if you can persevere and you can keep a good attitude, anything you want in life, you can accomplish. So at least top of mind, that's the first thing that, that I thought about when you said that. So perseverance and spirit have done wonders in all ages. And I love it. You were one of the quickest respondents ever because most people sort of spend a few seconds thinking, oh, well, I don't know, but that was grand. And I like well, the if, I spend, if I spend more time, I, pr I might have a different answer, but that's at least the first most raw thing that came to mind when you said that. And I always trust your gut reaction. That's what it's all about, isn't it? What does it feel like? Adam, you know, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And before we go, is there anything else you want to cover that we haven't covered about your business or something else that you're doing or something in the pipeline? You know, what's what's the future look like? The future for, for me right now is I, I want to continue traveling the world, at least for the foreseeable future, maybe over the next year. And, and my biggest challenge to myself and my business partner, we talk about it quite often, is can we build the business from anywhere we want in the world with employees from all over the world where our customers are seeing immense value and want to continue working with us and continue giving us more money 
because we're providing more value. So that's my biggest focus right now is around traveling the world and building a sustainable business uh, that's built off of a solid foundation that, again, we could do from wherever we want, doing whatever we want. And that's the wonders of this technology. I mean, like I said to one of my guests last week, I could never really do what we're doing now as a broadcaster uh, probably 10 years ago because I'd need a special line into something to get the quality that we get now. So I think good on you and good luck with what you're doing. And I think, you know, you're actually hitting a part of the market that's very close to my heart. You know, I can see what you're doing. And if you can get those lovely cold calls converted to a warm call, you're the best thing since sliced bread. I'll tell you that right now. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. No, thank you, Dave. I appreciate the great work that you're doing. And uh, it's always great to talk with you. I definitely hope uh, we're able to stay in touch. Take care. Onwards and upwards. All right. Thanks, Dave. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Adam Rosen of the Email Outreach Company, helping motivated people succeed with more sales appointments. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.